listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week of November 20 to November 24. Uh, highlights. Oh, yes, highlights. Sorry, you start. I'll sure. just finish it. Oh, no, you go. All right. Highlights include uh, Laura Dunneman coming in to find out how well we all know one another. I won. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also talked about, well, I told you about a gig that I did at the Comedy Store in Sydney and the trials and tribulations of what happened. And also we had a chat to um, Hannah Gadsby about her show Nanette. And Larissa Jubecki came in to tell us about the good and bad food trends for this year. And then we talked to Greg Sestero, who was in The Disaster Artist, the, the film about the making of the room. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You are listening to Breakfasters. Just doing some exercises. Yeah, I was just taken by that. Just trying to dance, Thought dance it, it out. Uh, I um, I did. A, I was. I said earlier. I was in Sydney doing some gigs at the Comedy Store, uh, and on Saturday night there was a a group of fifty there for a Christmas party. So, mm. which is how big's the room? It, that would have been a quarter of the audience. Okay, wow. Yeah. Like a work thing. Yeah, work Christmas party, which at the start when they said that there was a group of 50 coming in for it, that alarm bells ring. Oh, is that bad, is it? Yeah. They're not going there to see comedy. They're going there because it's a work Christmas party, which means that they yeah. might not be paying attention. Oh. So, I know in places like um, there are other places that ban bookings of over 10, like yeah. in places in New York and stuff, they go because more than 10 people, it's um, – they're not there for yeah. They're not there for the comedy, yeah. and it was a big group. It's all they're all trying to talk to each other. It's like if you got a drink, let's go to the bar, and it's highly draining. Yeah, and and this group were certainly of the draining variety. Oh, no. <laughs> Worst group of all. They were just above and beyond. Like classic scenario of had obviously been elsewhere beforehand, mm. so were already um, drunk when they got there. And it was mostly men in the group, um, and then they yeah they took up a whole section of of the audience and were extremely um, misogynistic and homophobic Whoa. in the things what that do you they mean? were. You could hear what they were saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some really? some of the stuff that they were yelling out, you could hear Whoa. like really. So they were actually actively heckling. Yeah, yeah, because. Oof. That as well as just general chit-chat yeah. and stuff, like just general being loud and boisterous and stuff. But occasionally there was a few in the group that were like, have a look at me, look how great I am, um, you know, and would yell stuff out. Now, I've been a part of – I've been to gigs like that before, like really horrific stuff that's been yelled out and it's um, – like I've had bad gigs before, been to bad gigs, but on this night it was – it was kind of something else. Like it was oh, just that sucks. Yeah, it yeah it really did. Uh, however, on this particular night, the um, the other acts that were on went stepped up, and the most amazing thing happened where it got to the like the first half they were um, 
everyone kind of just powered through a bit and just went, yep, all right, whatever, kind of. They got shut down a bit and they, you know, whatever. Everyone just seemed to handle it and just go, geez, that was a bit rough kind of thing. And then in the second half, obviously they'd um, they just kicked off another notch and there was a, a woman on before me who's pretty new to comedy, like it had, she's in her first couple of years, um, but still, you know, very good, very talented but she was on stage and I think they could sense that she was quite new and vulnerable yeah. and really went hard oh, on her. And it, horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was really horrific stuff. Like the things that they were yelling out, like show us your show us your box and, and things. And it's just like horrible. At what point does someone get kicked out though? Like you think that it's security well, would step is, in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the problem was it was a group of 50. Yeah, right. So what do you kick all 50 of them out? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And what, at what point can people just say, I don't want to perform or, you know, like that's it, I'm not doing it? I don't, or is that that's sort of bad form? Yeah, it's... Well, we'll we'll get to that. Okay. okay. So she she's I was so amazed at her. Like she, it was five minutes she had on that stage, and she just powered through it. Like and to be able to stand there and take the verbal abuse that was coming her way that she would have heard, and then she just ignored and just went. No, I'm just here to do my job. Played everyone else in the room. Just kind of stuck her head down. Just went through it. I was so. Like so impressed mm. that someone so new could handle that, um, and then she got off stage um, and visibly shaken by it. Um, and I, uh, she was like, "That was, you know, that was really horrible." And then the MC um, who'd heard what had happened because mm. um, he was out there in the audience, and then he said to me, "He goes, do you want me to?" Doing like how are you get? I'm like I'll be fine. Like you know, I've I'm kind of you know could because um, it's happened to me before. I'm You've not seen dis- it all. Yeah, yeah. I'm not desensitized by it at all no. by any means. But I just was like, that's all right. Just you know, let me get out there. I'll do my thing. But the MC went out there and before he introduced me, just spent a good like just went on a tirade to this group <gasps> really? and just went. You're a you know there was a lot of swearing in there which that's I won't do now. But just awesome. told them told them off and How he said, you should get the F out of here. How did they respond? Oh, like a pack of drunken blokes just going, yeah, whatever. Oh, like it wow. was so – and so he just went on this tirade and then um, and then went, you're, you're a piece of – you should get the F out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome <laughs> – <laughs> oh, <no! laughs> Which is, you know, I had no problems with it at all. I just went, I went out and there was, you know, there's lots of chattering and stuff and I just did not give them a chance to to interact. Yeah. Like there was – I just went bang, bang. I played to everyone else in the room. So from my perspective, I thought I had a, a really good spot. But there was, you know, there was homophobic things that were being said to me and stuff mm-hmm. that I just kind of went, no, block, 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 just pow, 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 got through it. And then the headliner act was a, um, a guy from Canada called Mark Ford um, and he was sitting backstage the whole time. And also in the first half he was sitting amongst them in the audience and so he had, you know, firsthand, like he could really hear uh-huh. the stuff that they were saying, um, you know, the stuff that they'd say to each other, like, you know, have a look at this. Yeah, yeah. So and he just got increasingly more angry and so he walked out on the stage and then he picked the microphone up and he walked out into the audience <gasps> and went up to them. Oh my god! And you know, and he said, "Why would you do that? 
Like, why? Who do you think you are? Like, you're wow. not. Yeah, and just attacked that them. Is freaking and how awesome. Is, how is everyone else reacting? Like, all the other people, were they getting angry at these people or were they getting shouting stuff too? Or? Yeah, it was a bit of a mix. Do you know? Like, there was the whole group, they were a bit kind of, oh, let them go. They're having a good time. You know, we're just, oh, it's just comedy. We're just here to have fun, you know, calm down kind of thing. Um, so there was that kind of attitude. And the rest of the audience were, you know, just kind of dumbfounded at how horrific it had gotten. Mm. Um, so when so he you know went out to the audience and yelled at them, and then you know walked back up to the stage because he made it. He just like just went them so hard that the did they respond? Did they shut up then, or were they yelling back at him? No, they yelled back at them, yeah. and they were like, "Someone yelled at, I'll oh, be a professional." <gasps> and he went, "Do you know what?" Oh. I will be a professional because I am a professional, which means I am not going to perform for you Fs. Oh, and then wow. went, not doing it. You don't des- you don't deserve this. And then put the mic back in the stand, walked <gasps> off stage, shows wow. over. Whoa. And so what, what happened then? Like how did the crowd, how did the rest of the people respond? Or were there people saying like, you know, you've ruined it for everyone? Yeah, yeah, there was lots of, but at that stage, the and this is the other really great thing is the venue had his back, and so the venue oh, they great. just went lights up, music's on, shows. MC went back out and went, yep, shows over, see ya. That is so good. And then the, they closed the bar. Oh yes, and they went everybody out. How satisfying! Like it was so good. And then I'm standing backstage because we're all standing there, and like Mark walked back, came back out stage, and he, he apologised, and we're like. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, thank you for, for, and he said, I was just so, I'm, I, you know, F them, I can't do it. And then, and they're all sitting there chatting and stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's a man standing next to me, like a really tall guy. And I looked at him and went, Oh, oh they've got extra security in here for us. And then I snapped and went, No, no, they don't, and realised that one of them had come backstage. Oh, my God, how scary. And he was just standing there, like, puffing his chest out, like, looking at Mark, just going, oh, come on. And oh then, But God. all of us were just, like, just sitting there looking at him, just being really perplexed, going... What, what are, are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? And then, like, a split second later, the tech, who had seen this guy from, you know, walk up onto the stage, and he's standing back there at the sound, like, the back of the room, he said, and in a moment of, like, ten seconds, he's gone from one end of the venue to the other, mm-hmm. like, jumped over chairs and stuff, and he comes backstage, and he, you know, saw him there, and he just, and by this stage, security comes in through another door as well, and he just went, come on, mate, you can't. You can't be back here. So everyone around him, there was no aggression going back to him. Yeah, So yeah. it was just... He, he was just went, looking for a fight. Yeah, and they, he wasn't finding one, so he just they left and then the, the police came as well. Oh, just, wow. just because it was, you know, the venue would have... Because um, they handled it so well. Yeah. The venue would have contacted the security company because it's at the entertainment quarter. They would have said, hey, just so you know, there's a large group of drunk people that are leaving yeah. now. So, and yeah, I think who are ripped been, up and probably yeah. fight. Did, did, did you ever find out what they were? Like, if they all came from the one workplace, what? Yeah, occupation? I know the, the company that they were from, but they were like, a, it was like a computer. Um, I think. Oh, like yeah. IT or something. Yeah, I think so. Oh, God, IT. I know. Nerds gone wild. <laughs> But I, th- oh, I think it might have been like a, a like a um, phone. Um, oh yeah. Thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so they left, and it was. Do you know? It's, it was just amazing because the first time that I've been at a gig like that, where the men got it. 
Yeah, yeah. They understood the fear that women have when we go on that stage. Because I was talking to Mark Arthur, he goes, because he asked me about it, he said, I'm a cisgendered white male and this is the first time I've understood what it's like and how often, like, be honest, how often does that happen? And I'm like, a lot. Yeah. And he was like, I, I'm so amazed that you are able to get up and do I'm like, you know, thank you, but this is... You know, it makes such a difference. Like it started with a really horrific such a night, but had such a positive outcome because everyone there had our backs. That's really nice. At least there was something good came from the shit. Yeah. Three triple R. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. It's about that time of year when everyone does their end of year lists. So to tell us about the best and worst of food in 2017, we're joined by food critic Larissa Jubecki. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hello. Has it been a good year in food? <laughs> it's always a good year in food. I think every year is a good year in food, right? We're all eating and it's, yeah, it's another million restaurants have opened in, in central Melbourne. So, yeah, it's just business as usual, really. Hmm. Are there any particular notably good trends this year? There have been some really interesting trends. I, I, I would say that. It's th- th- this year has been brought to us by the letter V. It's been the year of the vegans. Oh. Seriously, it's just they now rule the world. And mm. in the past, it was like you know, it was it was the it, it dare not speak its name. You sort of whispered to people that you're a vegan. Whereas these days, you sort of you know within thirty seconds of talking to someone whether they are a vegan. Definitely. <laughs> um, and I really don't have a problem with it. I think a lot of food writers really don't. Have have much truck with veganism, but I'm I'm ve- very vegan friendly. My my family is mostly vegan, um, so I have to put up with a lot. <laughs> um, so it's really nice to see a few restaurants and pizzerias opening where my sister and my mum can go and eat anything on the menu, and just seeing it, the looks on their face, it's like Christmas because yeah. they're so used to going and eating the side dish of broccoli. Yes, so, broccoli or chips, isn't it, usually? Oh, so sad. Yeah, I feel so yes. sad for them. Has that trickled down into, say, food that you can buy off the shelves in supermarkets, mm. do you think, as well? Yeah, I've seen a lot of vegan patties. Yeah. Um, which actually look quite disturbing. So when you, when, you, <laughs> when you look at the ingredients on the pack, there are lots of numbers there, yeah, which right. is always a warning signal to me just to back off. But you can, you know, there, there are a lot of vegan recipe books out there that you can get now that are just simple and you can make really good food. I'm in a Facebook group called What Broke Vegans Eat, um, ah. which is very handy to find out, you know, what you can buy at the supermarket and and cheap things that you can that you can eat and stuff and stuff besides chips and, and broccoli. So what do broke vegans eat? Is it just about finding the potatoes that are going a little bit soft? <laughs> <laughs> lentils, oh, man, or, that'd be a, or, yeah, that'd be a lentils and Oreos. You know, just because the Oreos are vegan friendly. Just about snacks and stuff that you can go and buy. Mm. And what about for you? You're not a vegan yourself. What are no. tr- what trends have really um, jumped out at you? Well, a lot of the trends are actually vegan related, or at least they're vegetable related. So, have you heard the term plant butchery? Oh, no. really? yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, you know how you know, a few years ago everybody started banging on about nose to tail eating. So, if you kill an animal, you have to respect it by eating every little bit. Although I'm sure the animal didn't particularly care yeah. um, about being respected in such a way. Whereas these days, we're all banging on about 
it's it's called root to tip eating. So if you hack out a broccoli, you should eat the stem, the stem. and you should <gasps> eat the any of the flowers. You should eat that broccoli leaves. Oh. So and these people are emerging who are calling themselves plant butchers. So it basically means you can cut up a broccoli really well. So <laughs> I don't think it's that scientific, and I, I don't think you need to do an apprenticeship for three years. I think I could do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's actually really big. And if you do go to a lot of high end restaurants these days, vegetables are much much bigger. So it's um yeah, you know I think it's also because protein costs so much to everyone, including a restaurant. So yeah, it's all about the lionising the vegetable these days. Is there a cronut of twenty seventeen? Oh yes. What is it? <sighs> the blue algulate. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just, no. I, I really have no words. Actually, no. I have a lot of words. They're just <laughs> disgusting. It's it's like I'm know, new to this. Tell me more. The blue algae latte. Well, it, it's part of the vegan revolution as well. It's like an alternative to a, a cafe latte, except without any of the benefits. So <laughs> it's made from algae, obviously. So it, it tastes like licking what? up Brighton Beach on a really <laughs> mucky day. Um, and How so they are actually poison? bright blue. Some people call them Smurf lattes. So they actually are that blue, that Smurf blue. Oh, I've missed this trend mm. completely. Well, you're obviously not on Instagram this looking at food sites because oh. just, they've been everywhere and you can get all different coloured lattes these days. You can get beetroot, you can even get lavender. But how and is that not poisoning people? Well, it's apparently really, really healthy, but I just, antioxidant is not a word I need to see on a menu. (laughs) And I've seen it a little bit too much this year. I go out to enjoy myself, not to think about fighting cancer. (laughs) I feel like if you see, like, blue in nature, it usually is a sign that something's toxic. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, wow. So what then has been your favourite food trend? So if if you're not into the blue algae latte, what is the thing that you think is top-notch and should carry forth. Tippity-top. Um, well, look, I'm actually quite boring and there's been a whole resurgence of Italian this year. Yeah, that has been right. Yeah. I've noticed that. Everywhere. But it's sort of new school Italian, so it's taking all of the wonderful fundamental building blocks of Italian cuisine and just making it newer. So it's, it's kind of socially acceptable to hoe down into a massive bowl of pasta again, which, you know, double thumbs up from me. Carbs are back. Um, yeah. <laughs> like they ever went away. Um, and just really interesting new school stuff. So, you know, uh, for example, one of my favourite new restaurants is this place called Osteria Alaria in the city and they do this really great dish. It's just like a, a it's a baby octopus just splayed on a plate. It's really quite brutal um, with enduya around it. So it's like this cal- Calabrian soft salami. So it's, yeah. It's very simple and it's just so good. And that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's just upping the ante on classic Italian flavours. Mm. Yeah. And uh, what about alcohol? What are, what are the trends in uh, what people are drinking? Oh, I think everyone's really sick of gin. We've just... Yes. Yes. Hello. I oh, know. After, after Saturday, I, I agree with that. I, I am also very sick Jeff's of gin. the gin connoisseur and he was no. very excited by all the gin things that were around this year. Yeah. But I did drink a little bit too much of it on Saturday. Oh, yeah, well, mother's ruin. Mm. Um, I think every second person person in Brunswick is distilling gin in their backyard. So now everyone's moving on to rum. So apparently rum ah, is the drink of 2018. Ah, yeah. Spiced rum. Spiced rum and, you know, artisanal. You have to stick the word artisan in front of it or nobody will drink it because then you'll just think Bundaberg. Right? Oh, so. what, what do you reckon is going to then be the food of 2018 looking forward? I was actually thinking about that on the way in this morning and this is the funny thing, right, for every year... Every food writer gets asked, what are we going to be eating next year? What, what 
cuisine is going to be trendy. And for the far past six years, everyone said Peruvian. And, you know, it never happened. happened. No, but then we got a Peruvian restaurant and everyone's like, oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> Where are we going from here? So I'm, I'm just going to take a wild stab in the dark and say Portuguese, only because oh. Portugal is so mega, mega trendy in the travel department at the moment and everyone loves those little Portuguese tarts. Yeah. But it's kind tarts, of like backing that. Chicken. Yeah. Yum. But or- I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. So it's, it's kind of like going for, for the, you know, in the Melbourne Cup, you back the, the horse with the longest odds. So if it comes in, you look really smart. Yeah. So, oh, it's on record now. Yeah. Is there anything that's sort of established now that you think is going to stick around? Like any sort of longer term trends? Term, I think uh, root to tip is uh, definitely going to stick around. And the blue algae lattes, unfortunately, look like they've got real really? traction. Yeah, unfortunately. Who drinks these things? Oh, I don't know. Um, and um, zoodles is another one. You know how people have been spiralising vegetables? So zoodles oh. are zucchini noodles. So you can get one of those really dinky spiralizers from oh, Aldi or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're here to stay, which I think is really depressing and oh. we should fight it with all of our power. <laughs> Love that you want to fight it. The kids would love it. Isn't it good for kids? I guess so. But they don't eat the product. They don't want to eat a zoodle. <laughs> Their life depended on it. They just like spiralising stuff. Uh, before we go, I want to ask one last thing. Do you – so at Christmas time, I feel like it's the time of the year where everyone gets to consume something that's a bit naff. So it might be your grandma's trifle recipe or mum's rumbles or dad's weird mince pies, whatever it might be. What is your one Christmas go-to that's a little bit naff but you love? Oh, it's not a little bit naff. It's a lot naff. Yes. It's uh, a pavlova. You have to get one of those supermarket pads. Yes, oh, I love a supermarket pad. Yeah, but wait for it. You have to get a peppermint crisp. This is an old family recipe passed down <laughs> from generation to generation. Peppermint crisp, smash it up, and then sprinkle it on the top with lots of cream. Oh, that is no awesome. No fruit inside. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, Larissa and Vicky. I'm sure Thank we'll you. talk to you again soon. Three. Triple. You're tuned to Triple R. This show is Breakfasters with Jeff, Geraldine and Sarah. If you're at all interested in comedy, you've probably heard people talking about Nanette, which won the Barry for Best Show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the Helpman Award for Best Performer, and then the Best Comedy Show at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, probably a whole lot of other things as well. It's now returning to Hamer Hall at the Arts Centre, where it's mostly sold out, I'm told, except for the 1st and the 3rd of December. That's all by way of welcoming to Breakfast as the show's creator, Hannah Gatsby. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Later. <laughs> um, people have really taken this to their hearts, as that long introduction kind of suggests. Were you surprised by the reaction? Was there a moment where you really thought, yes, I have created something special here that people really are responding to? Nah. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, uh, I knew I was doing something a bit risky when I wrote it. And when, when I first performed it in Perth, and I'm going to go and do Perth again because I traumatised a whole lot of people. What do you mean? Well, because I did uh, – that's the first iteration of Nanette and there was just no joke. I was just furious for an hour. <laughs> I've tempered a bit now. But people were just in the theatre going, oh, 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 that was what just happened. I, I had to apologise. So I'll go back and... Can you start, go back and tell us who Nanette is and does she have, does she feature in the show at all and did Not, she ever? She did, she, look, originally I was going to write a show about the, the colour blue, so it's really gone right off. <laughs> <laughs> I got sidetracked. Uh, yeah, look, she's, she's, I describe who she is and why I thought I might make a show around her. 
but then out she goes. She's, oh, yeah, she's just like a little uh, in a sort of. It's in a sort of little petrol station cafe thing that I met her, but it's sort of changed. She's now become a combination, but Nanette Nanette was this, like, br- she called herself a barista, but she just made coffee, mate. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, she, does she know that the show's... We're um, not in touch. Look, we, we didn't speak a word. <laughs> it was just more of this, like, you know. She represented, you know, real Australia in my mind, and yeah. I represented, you know, it was sort of like, you know... The, the inner city kind of schmuck, like, it's the clash of cultures that, you know, when you go to a really small town, you're just like, oh, no, I'm a city folk, but I'm not a city folk. No. <laughs> like, and that was their sort of premise, which is sort of is in the show in there. It's, you know, colours it a little bit, but, yeah, so because I'm from a really small town, so it just always irritates me when I'm in a small town and they look at me and go, yeah, yeah, fucking thank you, special. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the show, you discuss being a teenager when Tasmania was debating the decriminalisation of homosexuality. It is kind of mind-blowing. I remember when I saw the show being struck by just that that was only in the 90s. It wasn't long ago at all, was it? No, no. <laughs> Not long enough ago, really, when you think about it. But um, I think, you know, part of what sort of drove the show was the same-sex marriage debate and how similar the the sort of rhetoric was and also what's really annoyed me was how you know horrific people were about Tasmanians at that stage you know just well just a joke and I certainly wove that into my comedy in the past it was just like yeah we were just sort of backwards and all this sort of stuff and then we go through this debate and the whole of Australia is saying the same thing you know not do you know it's the same kind of argument mm. that we were having and, the, you know, you mainlanders were mocking Tasmanians. Man. It's like, no, nah, it's a fair whack of mainlanders who are as backward as Tasmanians were being accused of. So that sort of put the fire in my belly about that. And I think also what, you know, made me furious was that, you know, from that debate that took place that was apparently not that long ago, no one learnt from it. Like, you know... There's a, there's a really good story at the end of the Tasmanian debate in that now they have the best human right protection laws in, a, in Australia and a really progressive general community attitude. And when you think about where they went from being the worst mm. in, yeah. uh, as a homophobes to, you know, the most inclusive community, no one's looking at that part of the story. Yeah, I saw that the um, vote in Tasmania was actually... The yes vote was actually above the national yeah. average. Yeah. Right? And that's, yeah, that's right. a testament to what we went through as a community. Uh, which is that we had to, like, we were like... Because we have to live with the people that we uh, didn't agree with, and we don't do that anymore. Do you know? Yeah. So it's sort of yeah, like... Yeah. So people's attitudes actually fundamentally had to change in order to keep living with each other, and that's the difference, you know. I don't think anybody's attitude changed during this debate. In fact, do you know, I think it's just cemented people. Um, and so I, I just think, you know, we lost an opportunity to learn... And also to do something a little bit more constructively, I think this this latest thing was just a load of bullshit. Yes. Had, did, what did you do on Wednesday morning? Napped hard. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'd sort of flown in from the UK and so I was a bit discombobulated. But, look, I... I think it's it's a double-edged sword, the yes vote. You know, it is cause for celebration in that it confirms that you know, Australia isn't, you know, hasn't got the thick vein of um, homophobia running through it that some politicians wished it had. But I don't think that the... I think, you know, the I don't think it's enough to undo the 
damage done by the mm. process. But um, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of us people out there who are going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's going to feel weird because on one hand in public, like, yay, happy. But I think there's a lot of private pain because it's been a long process and it's really unnecessary and a lot of us felt quite vulnerable. I was shocked at how sad I was, just mm. sad. I had to take myself out of public, you know, discourse on it quite a few times mm. because it was just like, and, you know, and I'm a tough nut. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and, so, and you've been through it before as well, like, you know, growing up in Tasmania, like you said, and it's, it, I think it's quite shocking because, yeah, I was the same. I'm like, no, I've got this, I've got this, and then, oh, no, don't. Honestly would prefer not to have equal rights than to go through that public humiliation. It's humiliating, really. It's just yeah. like, you know, to be up to up for debate when, no, you know, your normals aren't. Your normals aren't up to debate. Yeah. You know, I have to accept your normals without blinking. And it's like, you know, so it's just sort of just a, it's just gutting. And I, and I think what we're going to see, well, and we already know that the, Mental health, um, uh, you know, the services are stretched to the limit during the process. And I think there's a lot of people who won't recognise, you know, the damage done because of the positive outcome. And that's certainly what I think I realised a bit late about my own process in internalised homophobia, you know. Um, So there's a, you know, yeah, I should be happy. But then you're just like, oh, it just feels crap yeah yeah i i um <clears throat> haven't seen your show yet sorry good friend good uh, <laughs> <laughs> but during festival like i know everyone was talking about it and that's but, why you didn't see it yeah. i mean i know how annoying is that <laughs> well, no it was more so i knew that you were dealing with um dark topics and i knew that um they were topics that would be related to me and also yeah during festival i just went i don't know if i could Handle it. Um, I reckon you made a good choice, mate. Thank you. I have I have booked tickets to come and see you. I though, got so. you a couple of. No, I know, ass, but I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a mate. Like to, I've got money. I pay for it. I'm sure you've got enough. But, but in saying that, like here I am worried about you know watching someone else talk about something you know hard to talk about. How do you? There's you getting up night after night after night and talking about these things, how is your mental health and how are you doing it? Yeah, it's been a big year <laughs> and it doesn't take, it doesn't get easier, mm. which I think is part of why it's still, I can, it's still relevant to do. Yeah. Like I think if I, it became rote. Robotic then, then, yeah. Yeah, then it would just lose what it essentially is. But um, I've learnt... How to like? There was a time, you know, it would take me. It would just gutted me, and I really questioned the wisdom of doing it. But I also felt like well, I think I'm doing something constructive. Mm. And when you're, a, you know, a dickhead comedian, like it, it's worth hanging on to something where you feel like oh, I, I think I'm doing something constructive. So, but then over time, it's sort of, you know, I think what was what was uh, what makes it difficult to do change so if you know like there's so I guess I was almost going through some sort of like catharsis grieving process it doesn't get any easier to do but I'm getting better at leaving it uh yeah you know I'm I'm starting like I'm always like like a I'm taking 
looking after myself so seriously, like almost like a, do you know, an, a, an athlete. Because <laughs> I'm like, okay, I make sure that I have to eat. Because if I don't eat properly or, you know, and I, don't, yeah. and I don't sleep enough, then it really ruins me. So it's actually been, you know, and I've been, you know. It's been a bit of a blessing in disguise. Be good disguise. Yeah. Real good. <laughs> when you announced the show, you kind of said that this would be your last Comedy yeah. show is that still a case? Here you are. Is that still a case? Or do well, you think- I mean, I'm not going to write another one. Oh, uh, really? So that is that. Yeah. Uh, well, no, not in a hurry. Um, look, so it started off as almost a conceit because as I was writing it, you know, with this all this sort of, I, I got that sort of like I could just say they're just going to go. No, oh, it's not really comedy to one woman show. You know, like yeah. how they do that. You know, you know, someone like Daniel Kitson can do that. And it's yeah. just a comedy genius. A woman does it, and it's like, ah, it's just a monologue, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so I thought, like, the way I was thinking is, like, I just threw, um, no, well, this is my last show, so it's sort of like beating them to the, I'm uh, not doing it anymore. Um, and it's sort of a, it was a half-assed thing in Perth of all things, and then it just took a couple of shows, and I'm like, no, nah, I mean this. I mean this. Because it's, um, but not so much. I think it's also, it could be looked at in different ways as far as quitting or stopping is concerned. I think it's part of, like, shedding a a certain persona, Mm. shedding a skin. Uh, Because, you know, there's all sorts of things that I was selling myself as in my career, like, you know, basically a fat, depressed lesbian. Um, All of which sort of remain true, but that, (laughs) it, you know, in certain aspects it doesn't give you a lot of impetus when you're sort of, you know, to not, uh, to evolve. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like what happens if I don't want to be depressed but yet I still keep, you know, my that's how I frame my comedy is around that sort of, you know, uselessness, and which will never go away. But um, <laughs> so it's that sort of, you know, but also uh, I think it became unhealthy for me to do comedy. Yeah. Mm. So do you have plans for the future that you can let well, us I've into? never been able to plan for the future. I actually have a brain that cannot conceive of the future. Um, never been able to, so that, that works well. Um, Nanette, just, see, just bitch won't lie down. Um, <laughs> so I've got another six months of her, I think, floating about. And I've written a book. Well, I say I've written a book. I've got to hand it in in the next four weeks. But I've had a book deal for eight years, so it's looking good. Uh, so that's a book. When six, Where are you taking it in six months, the show? Oh, it's all up in the air a bit, but a bit of OS. Ooh. Put up OS. It's a bit of OS. Do you know? Oh. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm – I don't know the rules Oh, well, well, you know, keep an eye out for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not <laughs> Mozambique. <laughs> <laughs> How does it translate when you take it to places like Edinburgh? Do people get the sort of references to Tasmania and... You just explain small... Most people know what a small island is and what, you know, small minds are. So it's a sort of... Do you know, and like... The UK invented Australia. Like, it's not a stretch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've got an idea. They've watched Neighbours and Home and Away. It's not a, not a problem at all. <laughs> got, you, got the gist of it. The yeah. show is called Nanette. It's on at Hamer Hall at the Arts Centre. As I said, it's mostly sold out, but I do believe there are tickets. A lot on. of wood in that room, isn't there? Yes. It's <laughs> not nice right at home. Tall timbers. <laughs> uh, so there are tickets on December 1st and December 3rd. We've been talking to Hannah Gatsby. Thanks so much. Three, triple... 
You're tuned to Triple R. This show is Breakfasters with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. The Disaster Artist is a new film. It's opening on November 30 at Cinema Nova and around the country. It's based on a book by our next guest, Greg Sestero, about the making of the cult classic The Room, in which he also starred. Welcome to Breakfasters. <laughs> Glad to be here. Such a confusing <laughs> show. <laughs> I feel that a lot of people will get this straight off. But this is a film about The Room, but it's also, and perhaps even more so, about your relationship with the man behind The Room, Tommy was so can you put all of this in context maybe by telling us about how you first met tommy and what kind of impression he made on you the first time you met him well uh it started with good intentions <laughs> I, uh, I signed up uh, for an acting class in san francisco to try to learn how to act and ironically that's where i met uh tommy was he um he was performing a shakespearean sonnet in front of the class and everyone in that class was they knew that we were witnessing you know, the most amazing performance we would ever see. Um, not. And so, um, and so we all were blown away just by how he was just, you know, sabotaging Shakespeare. But one of the interesting things is he uh, began arguing with the teacher why he was right and she was wrong. And everyone was kind of terrified of this man. He looked like a pirate slash vampire, very strange looking man. And, um, but I was very much drawn to him because I saw a fearlessness that I hadn't seen in an acting class before. Everyone was a little you know, nervous when they'd go up and perform, but there was something about Tommy that um, I wanted to get to know about. And so I approached him to do a scene together and we just kind of hit it off. Um, we were both complete opposites in every single way. In fact, the first time we went out uh, to lunch to, um, to rehearse, which he said he needed to eat before rehearsing because uh, he says, I get cranky a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, he has an Eastern European accent, but he says he's from New Orleans. Um, so for starters, it's a little, you know, a little odd right there. But we were at this restaurant, and he wanted to rehearse in the restaurant as loud as possible with tons of people around watching us. Um, but there was just something you know charming about him. He had a childlike enthusiasm that I found refreshing um and so that's where we decided we were going to move to la and and pursue our dream you know we were outsiders we didn't really have any support i had a french mom who believed i should be a lawyer or a doctor which wasn't going to happen um tommy was um you know he said he was in his 20s but he was obviously older and he had been rejected many times so we were both you know kind of at different points in our life and we kind of teamed up to try to to get try to give it a shot in that film the your friendship kind of it's like it grows quite naturally but when you were going with tommy to la was there ever a moment you thought i need to know more about you because i mean tommy's life is a bit of a secret no one really knows how old he is really where he came from was it you ever kind of questioning who he was I think that's why the friendship worked is I never asked those questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just let him be, you know, who he wanted to be. I didn't question him on any of those things. Um, you know, I was at very much a low point and meeting Tommy, he was a lot like freedom because there was no rules. And I, you know, I was 19, didn't really have anything. Um, he's like, you want to go on this road trip? Let's go. Um, <laughs> there were no limits. And so therefore it was kind of refreshing. I knew there were some some darkness there that I wasn't sure I wanted to get into. You know, for example, when we were going to LA, my mom made sure to meet him before we left. And so she started asking him like, how old are you? How do you have this nice car? 
what's your interest in my son? And he's like, well, I think he's a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no problems, mom. And, and then, you know, she's um, she's like, you know, how old are you? He's like, oh, I'm Greg's age. And then she's like, cool, I'm, uh, I'm 14. He's like, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of took a chance. I sensed there was something special there, something different that was going to happen, and I, I trusted him for you know no apparent reason. Um, I guess I just had an instinct, and it shows that parents don't always know best. So after you moved to L.A., how long afterwards did the movie come about, and did you always want to be a part of it? So I moved to L.A., and within three months I got an agent, and... Um, a role in um, a kind of a small horror film that um, changed a lot for Tommy because all of a sudden he realized this could be a reality where you could get work as an actor. So he really started taking it seriously and spending all of his time in LA and we were there as roommates. Um, and he quickly found out that, you know, his look and style wasn't really wanted by mainstream Hollywood. And um, so he felt really rejected. He disappeared for a while and um, he returned with the script of the room, and that's where he decided, you know, let's make our own movie since we can't, you know, they're not giving us a shot. Let's make our own shot. And, um, you know, he came up with the money by selling a lot of jeans and apparently um, selling a building or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I never really planned on being in the room because, you know, I had read the script. Um, I still was kind of, you know, wanting to make it the traditional way. You know, what, what did you think when you read the script, though? Because there's a scene in the film where, you know, you read it in front of Tommy, and then you're like, did you think this is terrible, or did you think this is crazy? I, I mean, I thought it was incredible for for different reasons. Yeah, mm. just because the way Tommy thinks is uh, is so comedic, you know, in an unintentional way. And um, one thing I loved about his original script is that all the characters talk like him. (laughs) (laughs) So I almost thought it would be funny. I was like, hey, Tommy, you should just play every role. Um, But I thought it was was adorable that he had finished it and he believed in this so much. And so I know a lot of, you know, throughout his life he had been rejected. And I thought, you know, I want to help him make this thing just to give him that chance. and so that's what I agreed to do. But he always wanted me to play the lead role opposite him. Mm. And I just wasn't planning on doing that. Um, but it wasn't until the night before we started filming that he made me, uh, he pitched to me, he said, if, if you don't play the role of Mark, it'll be the biggest mistake you've ever made. And at the time I was like, man, this guy's losing it. <laughs> but I ultimately realized he was completely right. So in the film, we see the room's first screening and the packed crowd kind of being appalled at first, then treating it as comedy, laughing uproariously. And then we see Tommy coming to accept that. Was that what happened in real life? I mean, it must have been very hard for someone to make a film that he'd put so much into, that he really believed in, and then to see, to hear an audience laughing at it. How quickly was it before he came to appreciate that people did kind of like it, but not in the way he intended? Yeah, I think the premiere was shocking for most of us. Now, I had had a rough cut that I'd shown my family and friends, and their reactions were, they were blown away. They're like, who the hell is this guy? And they, they, you know, obviously I saw the comedy there, but I just figured it's because they knew me, and it was kind of an inside joke. So Mm. when we showed, when the premiere happened, it was all people who didn't know Tommy and had no subtext, then 
they started laughing at things that I didn't even see the comedy and like the logos that come up at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> There's two logos. <laughs> and so they started laughing at that. And I was like, oh, great. If they're laughing at that, they're going to laugh at everything. Um, and, you know, so I had left the, the cinema uh, about five minutes in. I didn't want to watch the sex scenes. And when I peeked back in, um, they were there was just these moments of comedy, like the doorbell ringing one after one after the other people coming in. They were laughing at that. And then I was really stunned when he pulls out the gun to kill himself. Everybody's laughing. And I, and I could see Tommy just like, what is this? I mean, he thought people were going to be crying for two weeks after seeing this movie. And um, so I looked at him afterwards. I think he was just kind of just stunned. He didn't know what to think. Um, and, you know, shortly thereafter that he changed the tagline to experience this quirky new dark comedy um, about a week later. And uh-huh. he just kind of, I, you know, clearly the film, like he was doing everything he could to keep the film alive. But um, really, I think what changed everything is that there was a group of college kids that discovered the movie. There was, um, it was playing in one theater in L.A. And there was a review posted on the ticket window that said, um, watching this film is like getting stabbed in the head. <laughs> <laughs> And also, uh, no refunds. So, <laughs> I like that. So they were sold, and they wanted to go in and watch it. And those guys discovered it and ended up keeping it alive, bringing their friends to it. And I think when Tommy saw that, he figures, hey, there's a group of people that like this movie. I'll keep it alive as long as I can if people will show up, whether they're laughing at it, whether they're crying. As long as it gets a response from people, you know, I think he was in. You, this, this film is uh, based on a book that you wrote about your experience making the film and it was optioned by James Franco and Seth Rogen. What was it like working with them on making this? Because it's such a funny, it's such a great film, but it, it struck me that there is a fine line between, you know, taking the piss out of Tommy and representing who Tommy is kind of realistically. Yeah, I mean, it... They did an incredible job, and I and I think it, it came from a few different angles. Um, James had never seen the room before, mm. so he was introduced to this story through the book, um, which kind of probably helped him see it as more of a character story. And about halfway through, he knew he wanted to make it. Um, Seth had seen the room years ago when it first came out, before it became a cult hit. Um, you know, and thought it was hilarious. So it was a great team of. of them bringing together something that's an interesting character story while also capturing, you know, the humor and, and the making of the room. Um, and they were very earnest. They, they, uh, they celebrated uh, Tommy and this film in a very sincere way. And, he, I mean, Tommy looks, he should be very, very satisfied because he comes across really, really well. Did you, When you first wrote the book, did you have it in mind that it would become a film? And who did you have in mind to play like you for example yeah it was almost i think it was on seven years ago to the day is when i was had the idea that i wanted to do a book and the ultimate goal was that it would become its own film like ed wood or sunset boulevard um and at the time you know i was thinking like javier bardem or (laughs) i uh, I can see that sure and and, uh you know like ryan gosling or something I (laughs) i had a i had a bunch of different ideas but really um when james read the book about three weeks after it was published and, and kind of came and, and expressed his, his his thoughts and visions, I knew that James was the perfect person to do it because he really understood the story. Um, you know, he thought it was a kind of a cross between Boogie Nights and The Master, which is really, yeah, the, right. the, you know, the top of what you would hope 
someone would see with the film because you know it's easy to make fun of the room you mm. know that's already it's already there so so taking the story and making it a lot richer um and humanizing it i think was a more interesting way to go and that's exactly what james wanted to do it's exactly what he did and playing tommy is such a tough role because there's so many ways you can go with it but um he just he made tommy um such an such a fascinating figure in such an honest way that I didn't think was possible. Yeah. So how long was it before your relationship to the room changed? I mean, you were pursuing an acting career. You found yourself in this film. It didn't work out to be, you know, perhaps the kind of film that you wanted <laughs> to be. And at what point did you think, actually, this was a good thing? Or was there a period where you went through thinking, God, I wish I'd never had anything to do with it? So the premiere happened in 2003, and then it kind of remained a little L.A. cult film screening monthly to like a group of drunk college kids. So it wasn't really, didn't really have an effect on me or the industry at that point. Um, so I was kind of on my own for about six years. Um, you know, I was living in Europe, working in fashion stuff. And so, you know, The Room actually was a great gift because when in 2009, when it emerged as a cult film and, you know, getting mainstream coverage, it kind of gave you another shot to prove yourself in in, in film. And so... I realized the room was never going to get you any acting work because it's just not something you can show producers or anybody and be like, <laughs> so what do you think? You know? So I had to get really creative and be like, okay, this, I, the, what always interested me about the room was the story behind the making of the film, the characters. And I just thought maybe this could make a great film on its own. And that's really kind of what I threw myself into was, was telling a story. Yours and Tommy's friendship is so lovely and it's nice to see it kind of played out in the film. What's it like today? What's your relationship like with him? Just as bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've kind of aged backwards. Like I'm now the more mature one and he's like the teenager. Um, yeah, but it's been 20 years. It's, 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 I think it's thrived because it's so odd. Um, so if it was normal, then that would be weird. Yes. <laughs> and what did he... I mean, we, he actually appears briefly in the film, but what did he do after the making of The Room? Did he make uh, um, other films? Um, if so, what were I they th- like? I think he just probably was so um, run down from the experience of making The Room and then spending those years trying to keep it alive. I think that became really his passion um, and he didn't really go back to filmmaking. And I think he found you know, kind of a nice happiness, a nice balance with the room satisfying what he was trying to accomplish. So I wonder, you know, as a filmmaker, do you go out and and try to make something else because, you know, maybe it wouldn't be received the same way. And so I think by nature, you know, like he's a performer and I think he kind of got everything he could have wanted out of making that film. So I'm not sure, you know, what he would want to do next. The film is The Disaster Artist. It's opening November 30 at Cinema Nova and around the country. We've been talking to Greg Sestero. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. You're in Chipolar. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R in Melbourne, Australia. It's time for Friday Funny Buggers, <laughs> this week with Laura Dunneman. Hello, everybody. Hello. How are you going? Hello. Very good. good. Oh, good. Fantastic. You, um, you've got a lovely bun today on your head. 
That is because I did not leave enough time to get ready this oh. morning. I left seven minutes. Oh, good How job. How do I look? Beautiful, <laughs> considering. Considering. <laughs> yeah, you needed to put that at the end, definitely. No, you look beautiful, always. Um, that's, that's the sacrifice I make coming in here because I would still be asleep otherwise, I promise you. Anyway, how are we all? Great. Good, yeah. Um, when I come in to do Friday Funny Buggers, mm-hmm. sometimes, and I know that you have this problem, Geraldine, I can't think of anything to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I because can relate. Because our lives are not re- – my life isn't really that interesting and I have the added pressure of having to be funny. I guess you yeah. have to be interesting. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I resorted to <laughs> <laughs> any excuse, Jeff. <laughs> no, um, I'm being harsh. Um, but I have resorted to... Yeah, it's a to, tough job. And it's I, a tough yeah, job. It is a tough gig. Hard, you know. The toughest. So I've decided to resort to games and gimmicks <laughs> <laughs> to entertain people. And I, um, I thought of this... Um, like like a compatibility test for you guys, okay? Because oh. you've been working together for like almost two years now, haven't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. yeah. So you and you. Yes. So you guys would probably know quite a bit about each other. You'd I think so, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. 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 And none of you sound surprised because you actually know what I'm going to do today because I've been talking to you during the week. Yeah. Have you know I saw a Facebook message pop up from you and I was kind of like, oh. What's this going to be about? Because you've never Facebook messaged me again. <laughs> I and know. I, I was a bit scared to read it because I thought she's going to ask me to do something, do something for her. And Which I, don't I know did. What it is. Yeah, but it wasn't a bad thing. I was so relieved <laughs> when I read it. What did you think it was going to be? I don't know. I thought this is so weird that she's Facebook messaged me. I get me. that feeling too. I'm like, yes. what do they want? And I didn't want you to see that I'd seen it. Like, I love you, Laura. I didn't want to. It wasn't a. But I just thought she's going to be like. You should have just instantly blocked her. <laughs> Unblock. She is not allowed to contact me. I thought, what are you going to ask me? Anyway. Yeah. Keep it to work. Did you want. Do you think. I was going to like ask you to help me move or something. Yeah, or, or something you, really you inappropriate. Like people often ask me oh, if I can get them a ticket tickets. to get to random like Paul McCartney. I'd be like, no, I have no way of doing really that like, for you. I don't really like live music that much, oh, so good. don't worry. I'll never, never worry about that again. Maybe for Paul McCartney. But, okay. Um, so I contacted you all earlier in the week because I want to do a compatibility test with mm. the three of you just to see how well you know each other. So Ooh. it's an old timey one. Mm. Like this is like what you do before you get married. Before, yeah, yeah, I think you have to. Well, you don't have to do it before you get married, but people sometimes do to test how well they know each other. Oh. So it's like you guys oh. are getting married. Okay. Oh, this is what oh, I've always well. wanted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I asked three questions. You had to answer it for yourself, and then you had to answer it for somebody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. And the three questions I asked were: What's your favorite food? Mm-hmm. What's your greatest fear and what would you do if you won a million dollars as well yeah got it let me just ask before we start as well because i I was listening the other week and you guys got angry that jeff didn't tell you his birthday do you know each other's birthdays now uh no i forgot what day that was (laughs) Uh, vaguely yeah, roughly. Yeah. Yours is first, then mine, then Jeff's. Yeah, that's how I know it. Yeah, yeah that's how I memorise my family's yeah. as well. <laughs> anyway, mine's April 20th. Um, <laughs> 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 you wanted to drop right that in. <laughs> okay, so I asked the three questions. Yes. You guys came back very diligently and uh, there's some interesting results. Oh. Who, who got back to you first? <laughs> Jeff. Thought ah, so. He's always looking for it. You're well, always distracted on social media. I'm very clever. This shows how well I know Jeff. I contacted him via Twitter. 
Oh, yep. he's and also pretty good on the FB. Is he? I don't know if we're Facebook friends. No. I'll oh, remedy that. Hello. Awkward. I'll Awkward. send you a weird <laughs> Facebook message. You'll be like, what is she contacting me yeah, about? No, I'm, I'm sitting trying to work and I see DM on Twitter. I don't care who it is. I'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Please send me. <laughs> um, so I put all the results into my um, spreadsheet. My spreadsheet uh, friendship calibrator 2000. <laughs> Which is also a MacBook Air, and it's come back <laughs> with the results. I'm nervous. Right? Here we go. Who should I start with first? Oh, whoever you like. Okay, well, I've got Jeff at the top of the page. Yeah. Um, when Jeff wrote back to me, it was an interesting message because he started off by saying, Oh, God, I'm going to get them wrong, and everyone is going to yell at me again. <laughs> He knows us well. And then he answered the questions and then right at the end he wrote, I'm stressed already <laughs> with a sad face. That's very true. <laughs> and I promised that I would back him up. All right. Uh, I might go back on that promise. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, I thought so at the time. <laughs> okay, so... First question, favourite food. And I should say that Geraldine answered the questions for everybody. So Jeff has, it's the way I calibrated it. Okay, but who's Jeff answering the questions for? Um, for, He answered the questions for Geraldine. So are you Mm. reading out right now, are you reading his favourite things? Yeah, I'm going to write his... his, It's a bit complicated. I know, I'm confused. It is, isn't it? It's the calibrator. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So wait, it's better the, the results. All right. So we'll do Jeff as a person first, what you guys guessed for him, and then what the actual answer is. Okay. Oh, okay, got you. Yeah, all right. So favourite food for Jeff, Sarah said, <laughs> anything he can grab, but mostly Tex-Mex and Magnums. I meant Magnums as well, sorry. <laughs> oh, Magnums. Mad- yeah, Magnums. I think Mex. I've heard you talk about Magnums like before. Mad yeah. And I know that your um, nickname is Pancetta Hands. This so is that really would- my nickname in any other context of this <laughs> stupid show. This is on radio, though, so I'm sure other people have adopted it. They have. And just the fact that you're saying anything he can grab would suggest that you know him quite well yeah. as well. Geraldine said, Jeff is Magnum ice cream. Oh, we both did Magnum. So there's, there's a correlation here that the compatibility Max 2000 has <laughs> picked up on. Uh, dim Sims and whatever else is in front of him. Yep. Oh, my God, we did really similar answers. Yep. Whatever he can grab. Yeah, strangely, that's not what I said. <laughs> I was going to say, what's my favourite food? Anything I can grab. <laughs> I'm going to say that. <laughs> All you can eat buffet. <laughs> <clears throat> the actual answer is my favourite food is bratwurst. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I like bratwurst. I mean, okay. I do like Magnums as well, so that I'd, I'd accept that as a correct answer. Favourite, yeah. your favourite, okay. Greatest fear, Sarah. Sarah said, "A long lingering hug," <laughs> <laughs> which is true. true, that's true. Okay, Not that, a yeah. hugger. Jez said, "Jeff is people hugging him." <laughs> And not being able to get past someone to get to the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of those things are true. Very true. The actual answer is plane crashes. Yes. Which oh, we, of course. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that he's a bit afraid. Okay. I don't like hugging much either. No. <laughs> no one hugged Jeff. Mil- what he would do with a million dollars. Sarah said, true to his communist roots, he would no doubt share the wealth evenly with me and Jez and then fly to Jamaica. <laughs> Yeah, Jamaica thing might happen. Is that a pretty good? 
you're yeah. not getting anything. Well, Geraldine said Jeff would go on a holiday to Jamaica. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think we know you better than you know yes. you, Jeff. This is amazing. Yeah, you two know Far Jeff out. very yeah, well. creepy. That is one, mate. I'm so impressed by us. Yeah. And he would start his own gin distillery. Oh. Would you like to do those two I things? I would like to do those two things. Jeff said I'd buy a house in Sydney, though oh. that probably wouldn't be enough. Yes. So you may as well just move to Jamaica. Yeah, Probably right. the houses would be cheaper there. All right, I'll do that. Okay. okay, let's move on to Sarah. How well do we know Sarah? Her favourite food is blueberries. blueberries. That's what Jez said as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Geraldine's Very answering good, the questions for Sarah. Her biggest fear, Jez said, Sarah... Her biggest fear is dying from something that, that started as a small ailment that she would convince that she was convinced would kill her, but no one would listen. That oh, is my yes. biggest fear. Yes. I don't even know that about myself. It's not what I wrote. But. Um, and Sarah said sharks and people chewing, and then in brackets, unrelated. <laughs> I yeah. thought about the chewing thing, but I didn't know if that if it's was a fear. The, yeah. gra- your greatest fear. Yeah, it was yeah. a pretty big fear of mine. Mm. 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 <laughs> but also death. A, death a, general death is as well from that's yeah. true. a small ailment. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good fear. Not a good fear, Nick. but it's there, isn't it? What would Sarah do with a million dollars? Geraldine said Sarah would buy records and a blueberry farm. Oh, yeah. that's a nice idea. That's how much she loves blueberries. Yeah, so you know her yeah. very well. Mm. Sarah said, give some to Jez and Jeff, then travel the world. Oh, that's oh, nice. I just wanted to make Thank myself you. sound generous. Good. Yeah. Were you yeah. supposed <laughs> to answer them honestly? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. <laughs> Well, I hope you said, give honest answers. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to Geraldine lastly. Yes. Geraldine's favourite food. Jeff said, Jez's favourite food is, then he put a swear word in, I feel she said this, but I can't remember. I'm going to say chicken. (laughs) I'm going to say chicken. Really, chicken. Chicken. Oh, my God. Can I guess? Sometimes KFC, yeah. Sometimes KFC or Palmer or some fancier version. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. That's a good answer. Okay, you get it. Is a chocolate ripple cake? No, Ooh. but it's That's on not the what I theme put. of dessert. She put what did you put? You would never get it because I just thought of it <laughs> and I had it once and I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, chocolate cro- chocolate coated pretzels. Oh. Oh, mm. I didn't even know that was a It's obscure, but maybe we need to get you one yeah, I love as a treat. It. Maybe like for the, her birthday, the, the, the which you should all memorise. Yeah. July 7th. Okay. It's in there now. Fantastic. Greatest fear, Jeff said about Geraldine, hmm, maybe exams? She was pretty stressed doing her course. Oh, yeah. Ah. About, would, you, yeah. would you want to guess, Sarah? Sharks? Huntsman's, mates. Oh, my, yeah, it was yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Jess yeah, yeah. says, my greatest fear is Huntsman's. Yeah. I thought that might be uh, when I wrote them. If I thought yeah. about that longer, I would have got it. Yeah. yeah. I did sort of expect you to put quite a bit of thought into them. Right. <laughs> I must say I put the most zero, zero thought into them. <laughs> That's why you replied so quickly <laughs> and there was all those spelling mistakes. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> last one. What would Geraldine do if she won a million dollars? Jeff said if she won a million, she would buy a big tank with crocodiles and sharks. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll put it in your that. house. I would have said bought by a crocodile farm. Yeah. Oh. And put it next to your blueberry farm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> would live in sweet combo. Pure yeah. joy. In Jamaica. <laughs> in Jamaica. <laughs> 
Blueberries grow in Jamaica. I don't sure, know. sure they, they do. do. We'll make them grow. Yeah. Okay. The actual answer is, Geraldine said, if I won a million dollars, I would buy a dog-friendly house and let Kath get more puppies. Aww. That's a really yeah. sweet yeah. answer. And you then I would answer. give the rest to you two. Sure, yeah. you would. Anyway. You would want to do the dog thing next to the crocodile thing. No, no that's probably well. true. You might not yeah. have many dogs left. What a great way to end on. Well, <laughs> once I put the results in the calibrator, um, it, it gave me my result. Let me just press go now. <laughs> And it came back to say, <laughs> man, um, you guys know each other 60%. Oh, 60%. Right. You've got good, a way man. to go, but yep. you, you're almost there and you're good friends and you're great people. Oh, oh. Thanks, Laura D. Just That's as well right. it said that after two years. It said, like, you're completely incompatible. The whole show should never happen. That's Yeah, well, maybe. You don't know that it didn't say that and I'm just saying that. <laughs> nah, it's good. You love each other. Well done. Thanks very much, That's Laura Dunham. Right. Thank you. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR.